my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. Ah, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, Great show for you today. A lot of stuff to get to. Uh, I was joined by Ariel Davidson from The Federalist. Um, Always enjoy talking to Ariel. Um, She's great. Had a lot of great things to say. Um, We talked about, you know, a lot of cheery cheery stuff today. We talked Nazis. We talked communists. Uh, Talked about all manner of of terrible human beings and, and what we as conservatives should be doing about it. Um, so yeah, hope, hopefully you all enjoy that. Uh, sorry to be a downer with all the <laughs> Nazi and commie talk here on a Wednesday. Uh, before we get to Ariel, I want to say hi to our sponsors over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and want to quit, or if you vape already, you definitely have to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. All their stuff is delicious. All their stuff is made safely in uh, in their state-of-the-art lab out in California. Um, all their stuff is FDA compliant. Not that it should have to be, but I digress. Um, but they have any kind of battery mod, tank coil, anything you need, they have. They have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio. Um, if you're in Northwest Ohio, check them out in person. If not, go to Premier Vapor and Lounge.com. That is Premier Vapor and Lounge.com. They have their whole whole catalog up there. They have anything you need. Premier Vapor and Lounge.com. They will give you free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. Uh, so, yeah, don't be a cheapskate. Get at least 35 bucks worth of stuff and get that free shipping. Um, Premier Vapor and Lounge.com. Check them out. And if you don't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Uh, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud if you haven't already. Um, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five star rating and a good review. That always helps us out. Um, and uh, as always, there are shows Monday and Wednesday afternoons. The content is always free. Two shows a week, always free. But if you like what you're hearing and you want to get involved, you can contribute monthly monthly on Patreon. Man, I'm having a weird day with words. I don't know what's gotten into me. But anyway, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast if you want to contribute. Uh, if not, it's all good. Just tell your friends about us. Uh, retweet, share, all that good stuff. We really appreciate it. Without further ado, here's my chat with Ariel Davidson. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with Ariel Davidson from The the Federalist. Uh, Ariel, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me, Brady. Of course. So let's um, let's start off today by talking about Nazis. <laughs> Always a, a cheery subject. Um, we, we talked about on the last show on Monday uh, the pathetic uh, Unite the Right rally in D.C. over the weekend, um, you know, where about 20 inbred uh, trailer trash type guys showed up. Um, straight from their grandmother's house, presumably. Um, the the media has been all week just blowing the threat of whatever's left of the alt right way out of proportion, um, and it's really disappointing. A lot of people on the right are doing that as well, and uh, and I want to get into that. But first, just what's your reaction to kind of the media coverage from this event, if you can even call it that? Um, and what do you think the state of the alt right is right now? Because I think they're completely irrelevant. And uh, apparently I'm the only person that thinks that uh, if you turn on the TV. Right. So I think at this point I I would refer to it as sort of a loser convention. So you had about, I don't know, 25 to 50 alt-writers show up for this Unite the Right 
you know, white supremacist rally. And then you had, you know, huge throngs of what they call what the media has referred to as anti-hate protesters. And the reality was that these anti-hate protesters were actually, um, you know, members of far left radical groups. And they ended up turning violent on journalists and anyone who was sort of passing by. Uh, Several journalists reported being assaulted or having their equipment damaged by these, you know, supposed anti-hate protesters. So there's definitely this element where, you know, we have far right groups and far left groups sort of congregating in one place. And you'll see that the far right groups, though much, much smaller, get tremendously more coverage. And, um, you know, I'd say rightfully so negative coverage, but you don't see that same negative coverage being delivered to these far left groups that, you know, at this point, were probably more violent um, and, you know, more, I would say, disruptive, although both groups, I'd say, equally are horrible for their own separate reasons. But again, you don't see the type of coverage um, given to far left groups that you see given to far right groups. When I say we should just both be condemning the groups and not really taking sides and just, you know, unequivocally saying both really, really suck. Absolutely. And there is something ironic about, uh, you know, members of the press, you know, calling the right violent as they're currently being beaten senseless by leftist protesters. Uh, it is pretty rich. Right. Um, what really jumped out at me the same day, was that Sunday, I think, was the United the Right? I want to say it was Sunday. Um, it might have been, yeah. But the, the same day that these 20 Nazis were marching in, in D.C., uh, polling data came out that said that 47 percent of registered Democrats want socialism, forty-seven <laughs> percent. You know, and Democrats are half the country. So if there's 150 million Democrats, that means there's 70 million socialists. 70 million socialists. Uh, you know, and even if you look at just the Democratic Socialists of America, they have hundreds of thousands of members. There's about 3,000 KKK members in the country right now. There's 3,000. Right. Uh, and there's 190 million white people in, in the United States. There's 3,000 Klansmen. There's 70 million socialists, and I'm supposed to be worried about Richard Spencer and his cousins. You know, like, I'm just not buying it. Like, I refuse to fear the alt-right. I'm not saying I don't fear anything. I fear lots of things. Socialism is one of those things. I think it's completely rational to fear uh, socialism. Uh, so why why the hell are we supposed to fear this tiny fringe group when, when Marxism is not a fringe group on the left? I mean, it, it's half of the Democratic Party at this point, almost half. Um, that's terrible. I'm terrified of that. I'm really not terrified of David yeah. Duke. Well, I think what you what brings together the far right and the far left is that there are aspects of cultural Marxism that are racist, you know, that do, do sort of reduce people to their identity, you know, to their uh, racial identity or gender identity. And that racial element is really strong within cultural Marxism right. and can be pretty violent. Um, you know, we had that a uh, recent New York Times editorial board member, Sarah Jong, tweet out, you know, uh, anti-white genocidal tweets and, you know, no one batted an eyelash. That, to me, is the same type of racism that you're seeing emanating from the alt-right. It's t- two sides of the same coin. So when we talk about, you know, what's going on on the far left, it's not just socialism, but this idea of, you know, what Marxism brings with it, including cultural Mar- Marxism, is, you know, just as pernicious as what uh, the alt-right is offering. And I think what you commented on um, so well is this idea that, you know, people just sort of associate economic policies with the far left, but 
there's a lot that comes with that um, economic baggage. And like I just pointed out, cultural Marxism. Right. So when we talk about the far left and the far right, what I really would like to see is people condemn, again, condemn them unequivocally. Both are espousing really dangerous and disgusting rhetoric and ideology, and they should be, you know, unequivocally condemned. Right. Um, the mainstream media, though, they they're really fear. They're 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 fear mongers. I mean, they're trying to convince the country that the, the fringe right, if you even want to call it the right, like you said, there's huge connections between the you know the the racist white supremacist movement and cultural Marxism. Um, I mean, these are big government people. I mean, they're not they're not conservatives. They do want socialism. They just want like a white ethno state with socialism. I guess I, is I guess how I could right. define it best. Um, but they're they're really pushing this narrative that they are the people we should fear. And and like you said, the violence has been coming almost exclusively from the left. I mean, it, it was not they weren't Nazis that tried to shoot up Congress. You know, that shot Steve Scalise. It wasn't a Nazi that broke six of Rand Paul's ribs and sent him to the hospital. You know, like Nazis aren't congregating on college campuses, beating people with baseball bats and bike locks and things like that. It's just it's it's hard to understand where they get off trying to blame the violence on the right when that's really not the case. Um, I mean, we can even talk about something like radical Islam. Radical Islam has more. All right. Starting over. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Basically, my, my premise is this. The, the neo-Nazis, the alt-right, have no power. I mean, they have no political power. They can't, they're not getting elected. They can't swing elections. There's not enough Nazis out there to swing an election. I think if you got all of them together, they couldn't swing a city council election. right? Like They don't have any political influence. They're not influencing policy. And you have a guy like Louis Farrakhan, who met with the entire Congressional Black Caucus, including, including then-Senator Barack Obama, uh, a, a guy like that, a radical Muslim, clearly has more political influence than the neo-Nazis, and and nobody's talking about that, you know. I, so I, I don't know. I, there's a, a long list of things to fear ahead of neo-Nazis, in my opinion. Oh yeah, there's plenty of things. I think the neo-Nazis have, you know, what amounts to almost zero political clout. I think there was a missed opportunity at Charlottesville last year for President Trump to really condemn them as as full-throatedly as he should have. Right. And I think that continues to haunt him to this day in terms of how people view him and what sort of um, data points they use to argue, you know, whether the president is a racist or not. I don't think the president is a racist, but I do think that he has missed opportunities to really condemn the people that ought to be condemned. Uh, And that, again, like, you know, what we've talked about uh, throughout this podcast is looking at the far left and the far right, you know. President Trump is part of the GOP. And so, you know, there is this attitude of we should police our own. And I think that's true. I do think President Trump really should have condemned them harsher than he did so that at least, you know, it could be known that he doesn't you know, feel any sympathy for these people, but also that you just take that off the table. You know, you don't, and right now it's still sort of sitting on the table because President Trump really didn't handle the Charlottesville rally as well as he could have last year. Um, you know, that being said, I think that the the media media outlets have really done a poor job of bringing attention to um, issues within the far left. And I don't think the Democrats have done a good job of condemning their own whatsoever. You know, I do think that there's this sort of weird uh, pattern taking place where, you know, you have far left protesters come out and you don't really hear a peep from any of the Democrats and you don't see the media pushing the Democrats to comment on it either. 
Whereas after Charlottesville last year, you know, you saw many people in the press go to President Trump and say, well, can you comment on this? And you saw and which is normal, given he's the president. But you also saw the media going to various members on the right saying, can you comment on the Charlottesville Charlottesville protesters? Right. But we don't see that happening with Democrats and Antifa. We don't see it happening with Democrats and the behavior on college campuses where students are assaulting professors. You don't see that happening after, you know, various protesters marched down the street in Berkeley, um, you know, smashing ATM machines, with baseball bats. You don't see the Democrats being forced to answer for that. And what and that's where I see sort of this big gap when it comes to uh, the media reporting on far leftist violence. Right. And it's going past the protesters. The Democrats don't have to answer for their own elected officials. I mean, we have Keith Ellison, the the anti-Semite socialist from from Minnesota who who won the Democratic primary for attorney general. He'll almost certainly become the next attorney general of Minnesota, um, who's, you know, buddies with Louis Farrakhan. Um, there, there's a, another politician in Minnesota, actually, that won a primary uh, yesterday um, who's probably going to be elected to Congress, more than likely, um, a, a Muslim woman who voted against, I don't know if she was in the state house or the state senate, but voted against um, harsh punishment for female genital mutilation, <laughs> literally. So um, they don't even have to answer for their own elected officials, let alone Antifa and, and, and folks like that. Right. And I do think that what's happening is you do see a lot of the media rhetoric, I think, is at times can be dangerous. And same thing with the rhetoric coming out of the Democratic Party. And I think those combined, you know, I don't want to say rhetoric causes people to do things, but it certainly, you know, furnishes people with justifications, which they then, you know, with their own, uh, on their own independent volition may or may not act upon. And I do think there's an element of hysteria that runs through the media right now, anti-Trump hysteria that has, you know, been used or has, you know, I can sort of understand now why some leftists become violent, because if I heard every day uh, on television that President Trump was trying to, you know, uh, was hurting children at the border systematically and was, um, you know, trying to rob people of their health care and rob people of their Internet and all all the sort of hysterical accusations that the media makes on a daily basis that are unfounded and not true, if I were sort of subjected to that propagandizing every single day, you know, this, the sense of violence that leftists um, engage in, but not, I wouldn't want to say understandable, but at least there's some sort of explanation involved with it. And that to me is what doesn't, again, does not seem to be acknowledged by the left whatsoever, that this type of rhetoric can become dangerous if it lands in the wrong hands right and at the end of the day i i'm i'm oh shoot i said at the end of the day i have to find myself five dollars that's uh the one phrase we're not allowed to say on this show um at the end of the day i hate that phrase but but anyway <laughs> um so i apologize to all the listeners for that um but i i care about the republic right i, I care about what can actually influence policy um what can actually make the country better or worse and marxists are winning elections Right. I mean, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, primaried a prominent Democrat in New York and won. Okay, I don't know where Richard Spencer is from. Um, I, I have no idea. But uh, if he moved to Ohio and tried to primary Jim Jordan, I mean, he'd have a better chance of getting Jim Jordan pregnant than <laughs> beating him in an election. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it. These people are not they're they're, they're not even culturally relevant. I mean, people that may have like some kind of buried racist bone in their body 
they're not being influenced by the alt right. They're not going to see twenty kids in the Unite the Right rally and say, you know what, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like politically, culturally, right. they're not influencing anything. They're not getting elected. They're not influencing policy, and that's just I don't know. I it, it's tough for me to to talk about. It. That's why I don't really talk about the alt right very much on the show. I'm pretty much just this week. It's been months since I've mentioned the alt right, just because I don't view them as a threat. And you know, and I, I don't know if I'm if I, I might be totally wrong here. I mean, I'm a white, blonde haired, blue eyed Christian in Ohio. So I know you're, you're Jewish, Ariel, so, and you have a pretty large following, especially on Twitter. I mean, maybe you have had, you know, threats or something um, from the no, alt-right I've or something comments. like that. No, I've gotten comments from the alt-right, yes. And, you know, various um, DMs in my Twitter inbox from the alt-right. I have, definitely, um, from both the alt-right and the far left. Uh, so I, I'm no stranger to dealing with the alt-right um, because of being Jewish. So that's not, you know, when people sort of accuse me of being too far right, I'm thinking I am the, you know, one of the prime targets of the alt-right. When Paul Nyland or Nyland came out with his, you know, list of media, 70 media figures right. that he takes issue with, um, you know, he put me on his list of people and he was walking around with this little Excel spreadsheet. Oh, that, that was posting tremendous. It on, Just a tremendous On social list. media. Yeah, and he's sort of, you know, a white nationalist who was running under the banner of the GOP going after, you know, Jewish and non-Jewish political commentators was totally bizarre. Uh, but you're, you're right when you say the alt-right has little to no clout. I mean, it really is just a, a bunch of losers who, again, deserve to be condemned out in the open and in public. And there's really no better way to do that than allow them to express their ideas and then shut it down. You know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So I'm all for, you know, those people crawling out of the corners and challenging their ideas and shutting them down. Um, but, you know, there is sort of this increase in censorship that's taking place online. And I don't think that's going to be healthy for on either the right or the left for addressing bad ideas. Right. You know, the funniest thing about Paul Nealon, that clown, um, and, and his list of, of Jews in the media, I think he just assumes that everybody in the media is Jewish. Because there was a lot of non-Jews on that list, which is yeah. just hilarious. Like, he really buys into the anti-Semitic uh, narrative that Jews control the media. Because he just listed every man- member of the media, Jewish or not, as the bad right. Jews. Which I thought that was just right. tremendous. <laughs> so yeah, I know he made he, a lot of errors on his list. <laughs> he, he did. He did. Yeah, I almost wish I was Jewish that day just so I could be on his list. It seemed like an impressive <laughs> company to keep. So um, I was in good company, yes. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, I know you got to go here in a few. Um, so before I let you go, one thing that's been really disappointing to me, and you might disagree with me on this, and feel free to, to tell me I'm an idiot if I'm wrong, but I, I've been really disappointed by a lot of people on the right as well. Um, I feel like there's this, not that, I mean, everybody should, like you said, denounce both sides, the alt-right and Antifa, like any idiot racist rioters need to be <laughs> denounced, obviously. But I feel like there's this, instinct to virtue signal um even within the community the conservative movement to the left just to show how much they hate the alt-right i mean everybody hate i mean we all know we hate the alt-right and this virtue signal it they're they're you know contributing to the media blowing the alt-right out of proportion i mean they're like conservatives are making with their apologies they're making the alt-right seem exponentially more powerful than they really are and just a few things yeah yeah, I just sorry, wanted to re- I just wanted to read a couple uh, tweets from from a couple people I really like. 
Um, a couple from David French over at National Review, a, a writer I really, really like. Um, I really respect. I read National Review daily. I mean, I, I love the publication. I always have since I was a teenager. Um, but David French, and I brought this up on the last show, and I just want to get your perspective on this. Um, he had a couple tweets about the alt-right, and this is the first one. Quote, the alt-right is dying, but it still accomplished terrible things. It created room for more race-baiting. It made good people feel afraid. It killed. It distorted the GOP. It got close to the Oval Office. It revealed rotten, dark hearts in the conservative movement. And here's another one, and this is David French talking about the uh, alleged tape of Donald Trump saying the N-word, which almost certainly doesn't exist, but... Um, David said this, quote, I don't want the tape to exist for two reasons. One, I don't want POTUS to have used that language at all, which is fair. And I don't want to see what further depravity the tape would reveal on the alt- on the right, as once again, all too many of his defenders would rally to defend the indefensible. And I'm like, okay, I get the sentiment here, but one, you're kind of maligning conservatives for hypothetically defending a hypothetical tape that probably doesn't exist. I just don't, like... It's feeding into the left's narrative that the alt right is this powerful entity. You know, I don't even know what David French means. What does you know, you know, the alt right got close to the Oval Office mean? Like what does it mean, Steve Bannon? I think they were referring. Yes, I think he's referring to Steve Bannon. Um, you know, and I don't, and I do think that Breitbart under Steve Bannon's auspices became an alt right rag in a lot of ways. Uh, and you know, I do think that David French's tweets assign way too much power to the alt-right and it doesn't really I don't think it truly captures sort of the relationship that the right has with the alt-right which is virtually none I think if you talk to most conservatives they'll express an abhorrence for the alt-right I don't think that you know the people in the alt-right are fellow travelers as David French's um, tweet would suggest I think they're sort of again their own entity they're much much more similar to the far left than they are to the conservative movement And I think you do more service to conservatism by pointing this fact out than you do by suggesting that they're fellow travelers who we must excise. I've already excised them. And I think a vast majority, if not, you know, 99 percent of the conservative movement has done that. So to make it seem as if they're this pernicious force kind of running um, just under the surface within the GOP, I just think that's incorrect. Um, And I think it's wrong. And I think it's dangerous to suggest that. So. Right. Um, you know, you don't see full-throated uh, condemnations of Antifa or various other far-left groups coming from Democrats. And in some ways, that's probably better for them because it doesn't increase the association that's made between the two groups. You know, I do think um, you're right that David French, in giving such a harsh con- condemnation, which is com- completely appropriate, the catch-22 of that is you know, the association is increased between the alt-right and the GOP, and that's not helpful for anybody because, like I just said earlier, I find no commonalities with anybody in the alt-right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and w- just one more before I let you go. Um, this is really disappointing. This is from this morning. A, a friend of mine, Steve Berman, who writes for uh, um, The Resurgent. The Resurgent, yeah. And uh, he actually was a, he was my editor for a, a site I used to write for a little bit. He edited a couple of my terrible pieces, so he's a... He's a better man than I for putting up with my crappy writing. But um, he he tweeted, uh, he re- uh, quote tweeted a tweet from the Daily Caller um, that Keith Ellison won his Democratic uh, AG primary amid abuse allegations. And Steve just quoted and said, behold, the liberal Trump. 
And this really bothered me, and I have a lot of problems with President Trump. I do not like that we have a president that has cheated on every woman he's ever been with. I don't like the tweets. I don't like the constantly attacking any any kind of political opponent, opponent incessantly on Twitter. There's a, there's a lot of things, like you said, the Charlottesville a year ago, you know, not uh, adequately condemning um, the alt-right. But making a moral equivalency between Keith Ellison, a terrorist sympathizer, an anti-Semite, a, a former, at least, disciple of Louis Farrakhan, and somebody who's been credibly accused of beating the holy hell out of his ex-girlfriend, making a moral equivalency between him and Donald Trump, I think is just way out of bounds. And I, I have a lot of problems with things that Donald Trump has said and done, but that's he's not Keith Ellison. He's much better than Keith Ellison. I mean, like, if Donald Trump was buddies with David Duke and beat the crap out of his ex-wife, sure. But that's just not the case. Like, I... I feel like this is just virtue signaling from Steve at a certain point. And I'm going to invite him on the show to, to talk about it. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I, I refuse to make a, a moral equivalency between Trump and somebody as vile and, and racist as uh, Keith Ellison. Yeah, so I agree with you. I do think, you know, it's <laughs> I don't not to do I, I don't haven't heard of any domestic abuse allegations directed towards Trump. So, again, you know, it's it's not really a, even a logical comparison from that standpoint. But also just in terms of, again, I agree with you, Trump, there are many things that he said and done that I disagree with. There are many things he said and done that I think are morally reprehensible. But I don't think elevating, you know, cheating on your spouse to domestic abuse allegations is necessarily the best way to go about criticizing Trump. Uh, Primarily because I just don't think those are quite on the same plane whatsoever. And so um, I agree with you. And I'd be curious to see uh, what Steve says, because I, too, respect a lot of his work. So yeah, um, I am sure he'll have, you know, a good explanation for you and be able to kind of open you up, open, you know, open your eyes to his side as what he is perceiving. But I, I do agree with you at first glance. Um, Definitely. I, I just think that the the whole mind frame from some on the right right now is really counterproductive and and damaging you know, to the conservative movement as a whole. Um, so, yeah, I was I was actually half expecting you to disagree with me on a lot of that stuff, but, uh, you know, <laughs> thank you for agreeing. I appreciate that. And so I know uh, you have to go. I've already kept you uh, over time, and I apologize for that. So uh, where can everybody find you online and read your stuff? Hey, yeah, sure. You can find me at, at Political L, so the word political, E-L-L-E, on Twitter. And then I'm also a contributor at The Federalist. So you can find my work there. All right, everybody follow Ariel. She is great, um, and we'll definitely have her back on soon. Um, I am Brady Leonard. I will be back on Monday. No gimmicks.